as I look out upon the choir today, um, this message was actually prepared um, with other people in mind, so it's going to be a lot of a review for you all, but um, this morning as I was praying, I was thinking about Carla, because a lot of times, you know, she likes to hear what I've got new to say about Christmas, Uh, but you know, there's almost something new about every passage in the Bible if you read it long enough. And so I pray today as we kind of go through what's a, what's a review for most of us, that um, the Lord would just speak something new about the Lord's Supper to us today. Uh, it's a special day. We haven't done this in at least a year. And so uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, it's not something that we're supposed to forsake and this is no, normally not the way we do it. We usually drink from one cup, but we're still in this transition. And so we're going to, um, we're going to honor where the spread out flock is at this point. So, <laughs> um, today's, uh, message, there's, there's one psalm that's tucked in the middle of the message. And I, I've had the, the, the blessed experience of reading 40 psalms during Lent. Uh, I'm, kind of got on this um, podcast from Biola University and they chose a psalm for every day of Lent and uh, it kind of vaulted me into this one psalm which is one of six that we're not going to look at all six of them today we're going to just look at one of them the beginning one but you know as we're as we're talking about the Lord's Supper and I'm reflecting on my own, own understanding of it it, it kind of, I had to kind of smile to myself at how gracious God is from when you're just a little kid. You know, I remember the first time for those of y'all that grew up in church, of course we had, we had wooden benches with little holes where you put the, the glass cups, you know, that's how far back I go, the glass cups. And, um, so I remember the first few times as a little kid, you know, it's like, oh, we're having a snack today. <laughs> You know, and it's secret because it's all covered up, you know, and then the snack comes out. It's very formal how it's done. And it it skips you. Mom and dad says, no, you can't have any. I said, okay, it's a snack for adults. Okay. Then I look and I say, it's not very much. So I'm not really missing a lot. But, um, you know, I remember, too, it was um, after after going through that, you would wait, I would wait for this sound at the end, you know, when the whole thing finished, it'd be like a whole bunch of polite woodpeckers putting those little cups in the thing, <laughs> putting them all in, because nobody could seem to do it quiet enough, but early, early memories of that, and uh, obviously it's become much more meaningful than that, and I had to smile um, a few years back, we were having, actually having crossway here at Westover in the in their sanctuary we had a we had a time where there was a reflection and people were walking through things and we were having the Lord's Supper that night and so I had the six electrons that particular uh, year and so they're some of the first ones up you know to get their get their Lord's Supper and so it's it's a time of quiet there's a music and one of them runs up to me I'm sitting on the, the second row and um he just whispers in my ear hey mr preston can i get seconds on the bread i'm thinking 
<laughs> I'm thinking, well, uh, let's just see how things go, you know. So um, God's so gracious to us all, you know, as, as we grow grow in our understanding of this. And, you know, my heart today, uh, just to follow on on Bill's prayer earlier, is the Lord show, show you something new about this. Um, may, it may be nothing I have to say, but he he's can speak to us, each one of us. And so we're going to go through uh, scriptures that you've read many, many times. But listen and see what God has to say in that scripture. Maybe there's a connection between the one in Exodus 12 and the ones in Matthew and Luke that you've never um, never made. But God's Spirit would, would teach us these things anew. And so as we prepare for this, you know, I just trust that there'd be more and more and greater understanding for us um, as we as we move into this really special time. You know, it goes way back to the the call of Abraham. You know, God called him and said, um, I want you to leave your family and come to a place that I will tell you about. And so he says, if you know, he says as he steps out to do this, he says, I'm, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Uh, and you're going to be a blessing. And, you know, Abraham came and he walked. And the Lord says, well, I'm going to give you that land. But it's going to be for your descendants. And, um, you know, then God made a covenant with him about that. But there was this really dark time in that covenant where he... God spoke to him and says, your descendants are going to be slaves for 400 years. And so um, that's what happened. They were slaves, and um, but they did get to leave Egypt finally. Um, but it took a lot of the Lord's power in doing for that to happen. You know, there was 10 plagues he had to bring uh, in order to convince hard-hearted and stubborn Pharaoh um, that... He was the only true God and he was not going to relent until God had his way and Pharaoh let his people go. And so um, he begins this time by telling the people, um, this is going to be a new month and a new day. And this is and this is the start of of your becoming a new nation. And so we're going to read through part of Exodus chapter 12. If you want to follow along, um, or you could just listen and see what the Lord might show you. So, Exodus 12. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal, 
until the evening of the fourteenth day of the first month, four days later. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They're to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over to you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. For seven days, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, remove every trace of yeast from your homes. Anyone who eats bread made with yeast during the seven days of the festival will be cut off from the community of Israel. On the first day of the festival, and again on the seventh day, all the people must observe an official day for holy assembly. No work of any kind may be done on these days except in the preparation of food. Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. The festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. So they were to select a lamb that was perfect. They were to keep that lamb for four days. Then they were to kill it. Take the blood from the lamb or the goat, smear it on their doorpost, and then roast the whole animal. Funny way to have to eat with your sandals on and the staff in your hand, ready to go. All acts of faith. There are other scriptures say not to go outside the door once you're in until the death angel has passed. So, this is the beginning of a new nation. Slaves turned into a nation. Slaves turned into the people of God. The blood of the Passover was that thing that distinguished 
the people of the world from the chosen people of God. And it marked their redemption from slavery in Egypt, which so many generations had experienced. Um, hope for what was promised Abraham probably wasn't spoken of that much because it was so long ago. But God remembered. He remembered His promise and the covenant and He remained faithful to that and gave to them what He promised Abraham. So they were commanded to remember this year after year. And guess what? Like all the other things God asked them to do, they didn't obey it. There were there were numbers of years through the through the history of Israel that they forgot to remember this. Um, but you know, it, it was picked back up. Uh, it's still remembered today. Lots of Jews still remember this Passover. It's called the Seder now. Um, it was remembered at the time um, of the Roman occupation of Israel because we have it recorded in the Bible. And so Jesus and his disciples, um, being obedient Israelites, also did the same thing. But over time, um, there, there became a tradition with it, just like we have a tradition. Um, and that tradition seemed to orb around four different cups, four cups of, of wine. And those four cups were the cup of sanctification, which in that time, it was just a special cup that says we're setting apart this meal to be something very special. Then there was a cup of plagues where they remembered all the plagues that Jesus, that God put on the land of uh, Egypt. Um, and they recited those. And then there was the cup of salvation. This, uh, interestingly, as I understand it, was the um, cup that was taken after the meal and is the cup that Jesus referred to as being the, the, the cup of the new covenant. And then there was also a cup of praise um, where after that cup they sang a hymn. And so this is what the, that meal consists of even today uh, in the Jewish community. Along with that went um, uh, six psalms. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. We're going to look at Psalm 113, but these would have been the the songs that would have been sung during, before, during, and after the meal um, during the times that they observed the Passover meal. It's very interesting. Uh, we, we certainly don't have time to do it today, but I would just encourage you as homework and edification to go back, read these six psalms in light of Jesus speaking these psalms. It is, it's just incredible to see what he would have said and, and all the thoughts that may have come into his heart and his mind as he, um, recited or sung these particular songs. Especially the night that he knew he was going to be taken away and crucified. Uh, it's, it's just amazing to, to read these, uh, in light of 
of him saying the things that are are there, especially 116 and 118. Uh, if you don't have time to read them all, uh, at least pick those two. Um, and uh, it's just humbling to think of a man who's giving himself for the sins of the world. Um, just the the breadth of emotions and thoughts that he must have had as these psalms were being read or sung. So let's look at, um, and they're called, these particular psalms are called the Egyptian Hallel. And they're not, they're not only just used at the Passover, they're used at a lot of the Jewish feast, um, even today. It's not the only time they're used, but, um, Hallel means praise, and so every one of the psalms are, is a praise song, and um, they've shortened Yahweh's name to Yah. So hallelujah means, all of you know that. What's it mean? <laughs> praise God. Praise the Lord. Now, what's interesting about these songs is, is uh, I was reading about these things is when they were spoken, um, the congregation or the people or the family would say hallelujah after every half verse. So we're going to practice, we're going to practice it only on verse one of this particular song. Let me read through verse one first. Psalm 113. The first, the first verse says this. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. So do you all know your part? Do you know what you're supposed to say? Okay. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. We could just keep going on this song, and you could just say Hallelujah after every single one. Um, you know, it goes on, and so here it is: Praise the Lord three times in the first three verses, really. Um, and then it says this. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting. So it's interesting, the word is blessed is used rather than praise, because what's interesting about this is that blessing, if the Lord blesses you, he blesses you with many things. He blesses us with many things. But when we say blessed is the Lord, the only thing we can bless him with, think about this, is to give him all of ourself. There's no other blessing that even comes close to meeting what, what he has aspired for us to, to, to become and to be in his presence. And so when, when the psalm says, blessed be the name of the Lord, there's two things there. It's us stepping up and agreeing, first of all, that his name is blessed. And so when it says name, it means every name. Bill, when Bill was praying earlier this morning, he just ripped off about seven names of God, you know. And I was thinking, yep, there you go. There's everyone that you come up with doesn't even begin to match or describe who he is. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. The God of peace, Jehovah Jireh, the, the, the joy that he gives, all the names that you can think of. And there's 
many, many names in the Bible for God. Blessed is His name because every one of them holds within it a blessing for you and me. Um, I, I was thinking about this from the rising of the sun to the, to its setting. Now, obviously, I don't think this song was sung when the people marched out of of um, Egypt the first time because David hadn't been born. That's who they think wrote these. Um, but I had to smile to myself because basically from the rising of the sun to the setting means how, we should praise Him when? All day long. But you know, I thought about this. The, the Egypt, Egyptian people, they had a sun god. And they had to make a sacrifice to that God every day or the sun wasn't going to rise. This is, their, this is their kind of faith. And I just, I just had to smile to myself. From the rising of the sun to its setting, our God shall be praised. That, um, you know, if we could roll it back, maybe they actually said it, who knows. But um, it says, it continues on in this thing. The Lord is high above all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. But His glory is also on the earth, isn't it, Bill? But it's like you said, Lisa, sometimes we don't have eyes to see it. It's hidden because of we're just not pure of heart yet, you know. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. This should bring back a song. Who is like the Lord our God who is throned on high? Who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He has to stoop down to see things in the heaven. He is high and exalted. Far far higher than we can imagine or believe. Um, Who is like the Lord our God? There, there is none that's like Him. Spurgeon wrote this about that particular thing. He says, the challenge will never be answered. So it's a question. Who is like the Lord our God? Did anybody name anybody? That's... So Spurgeon says, the challenge will never be answered. None can compare with him for an instant. Israel's God is without parallel. Our own God in covenant stands alone. And none can be likened to him. Even those whom he has made like himself in some respects are not like him in the Godhead. For his divine attributes are many of them incommunicable and Inimitable, whatever that word means. I didn't look it up. Does anybody know what in, inimitable means? Roger, look that up and let us know, okay? <laughs> Nobody can compare to our God. Nobody. He raises the poor from the ash seat. I'm sorry, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house 
as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. So what does he do? He raises the poor. He lists the needy. You know, one of the one of the things that are that is done in the in the Seder is whenever the bread is the, the bread is lifted up and they say, Whoever is needy, come and take of the Passover. So we're all needy. Even when we're full, we're still needy, aren't we? Um Are you poor in spirit? Yeah, sometimes we're poor in spirit. He raises the poor from the dust. And he lifts the needy from the ash heap. This is where this is where people that had nothing lived. You know, today they call it a garbage dump, you know, people that live on the garbage dump and look for things that they can sell or things that they can eat. Um these are these these are these are the kinds of people that we find ourselves at times in our life, and this is how low the God who sits above the heavens and the earth will stoop to behold us. Not only to behold us, but reach out and give us a hand. Um, and He doesn't just move us over into shanty town somewhere. He makes us sit with princes. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of sometimes think I might be a little bit uncomfortable with very elite, rich people, the royalty. But God, He just invites, come on in, get with the rest of the royal people. That's, and you think about, you think about the early church. <clears throat> the rich people associated with the poor people. They all had things in common. So those that were poor in the Lord, they were just as equal with the wealthy. And I think they had that kind of attitude towards one another. They really did. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Some of the commentaries say that this particular phrase was really about Israel. Um, Israel was barren at the time. They were just slaves. Um, but he was taking them to a place that they could call home. And you know, you and I have been in the same place. We've been barren. We haven't always had and done works prepared beforehand for us. Because, I don't know about you, but we've all worked at our own righteousness, which God says are dead works. So, in some ways, there's a barrenness that's been in our life before we came to know Him. Um, so, this is just the first of six wonderful psalms that... that um, not only the Jewish people, but they're all set one right after the other and they all speak towards thanksgiving and joy for God's deliverance of His people. So how does how do we get from there to Jesus and the New Testament? Well, 
his his last visit to Jerusalem, um, what we celebrate is Palm Sunday, was also the the same day that in the Exodus the little lamb was chosen. It's the same day. Kind of seems like how could God keep track with that that kind of stuff? Is that too hard for God? That it would orchestrate it? That it'd be the same day? The tenth, the tenth of Nisan. I remember a couple of years ago I was reading a thing and I thought, I think I'm just going to look this up. And it happened to be the day I was looking at it. Oh, only God does that for us. You can be reading the Bible and you just, you read through it, you know, if you've got some plan and you get on this day and it's like, how did he know I needed this this day? You know, he does. It's not too difficult for God. And so Jesus presents himself as the perfect unblemished lamb the same day that way back at the Exodus, God instructed those people, choose for yourself a lamb or a goat free of defect. And so four days later is when the crucifixion took place of that long week that's talked about in, in the book of John. So let, let's read in Luke 22. We're going to read 13 through 20 together. Um, just to go over this, this last meal that he had prior to his death. I had on my thing Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And this morning I thought, wait a minute. That's not right. It's the last meal before his death. So he did have another meal with them, didn't he? On the seashore. So let's read this, Luke 22, 13 through 20. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, Where do you want us to go to prepare it? And Jesus said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. Let me just stop right there. It's kind of a weird sign, isn't it? A man carrying a pitcher of water. It was very distinct to them because men didn't carry pitchers of water. Women did. So they couldn't miss this sign. If this man was carrying one. So, And you should say... You shall, you should follow him into the house that he enters and you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. Figure that. And they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, 
Take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Matthew 26, 29 adds this. To, says, is poured out as a sacrifice for you to forgive the sins of many. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now I want you to picture this, the disciples at this time. Because Jesus isn't following the right words. This is my body, wasn't a part of the Passover meal. This is the blood of the new covenant, wasn't a part. Can you imagine sitting there, having grown up, like doing the Lord's Supper, for us to do something totally different today? What it must have been like for them. He's not following. He's not. He's he's forgotten. He's not following what we're supposed to be doing. Just what he's saying. This is my body here. Yes. <laughs> they had problems with that earlier in John. They said this is a hard saying. Remember. But he was making a change. This was a, a new change a new covenant, a new way of looking at the next step in, re- in God's redeeming story was about to take place. Um, and he was making that point. Um, you know, I, I can remember and I know I've been guilty of this. One of the new things that I picked up this particular time because I am sure that I've said this is, this is his body broken for you. It just comes out that way sometimes. It doesn't say that. In, in your 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 Bible may say it, but if you look, read all of them, it says, "My body, which is given." And you know, I began to think about that. You know, it wasn't broken. You know, his legs weren't broken. Um, he might have had a, a broken heart about the whole thing, but his body was not broken. His body was given. You know, when you think about that, think about what he was saying because, you know, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. They came with the torches and their swords and their ropes and stuff. And he just says, I am he. And they all fall over like a bunch of bowling pins. You know, he says, I, I, can, I can call down a legions of angels anytime. Anytime. And so it was just interesting to me that he wholly gave himself. Even after the struggle in Gethsemane of the cup that he was to partake, um, in that time, 
if you read some of Spurgeon's things, God actually opened up to him exactly what he was going to have to walk through. So that there were there would be no like, I'm not going to show you everything because you might not go through. You know. Have you ever been told something uh and said, like, yeah, I'll agree to that and then you find out later that's not what you said, or that's not you didn't tell me everything. No, Garden of Gethsemane, God opened it up for him to see. And so I think he decided, I am going to give myself to this. And he did, you know. It was a struggle. It'd be a struggle for anybody. Um, so he did give his body. And then no covenant, no covenant or agreement is made without the what? Every covenant has what? Shedding of good blood, not bread, blood. And so he instituted this, you know. This, this, I don't know which cup. It was a cup of the wrath of God, whether it would be equal to the cup of the, the ten plagues or it's the cup of salvation. I don't know. It's the means of salvation. But these are the things that we all need to sit and think deeply about the Lord's Supper. What happened that night was the immeasurable wrath of God on one and the immeasurable grace of God on the rest of humanity. Um, and so, here we see this thing changed. Now, it's interesting that in today's world, the Jews still have a, a blank chair set for Elijah. With the doors open, hopefully Elijah will come in and usher in the promise of the Messiah. And, you know, it's like, you guys are just so close. If you just would only believe in Jesus Christ. He even says that at that time, if you care to believe, John the Baptist fulfilled that role of Elijah, you know. And I, you know, I kind of would take Jesus' word for it. If he says, if he said John the Baptist was him, then I think he was right. Um, but th- this is, this, this thing that we walk through, um, you know, I just felt today, you know, a lot of times it's just kind of put on at the end of the services and we and we do it. Not out of not out of disrespect or, you know, as a second thing, but sometimes we just need to devote ourselves to thinking about what it is we're about to partake. Um and you know, I I um one of the things that I was thinking that we always need to make clear at a time like this is, well, who can partake? Is this Gateway's Supper? You have to be a member of Gateway? No. It's the Lord's. But who can come to the Lord's table? And the Scripture that I really want to to home in on is out of Romans chapter 10. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness Christ is the end of the law because he fulfilled the law 
He is the end of the law, law for those that believe. Believe what? Moses writes that the man who practices righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. Moses was the lawgiver. And so if you want to live by doing the works of the law, then that's the law that, which, which you will be judged. But there's a new covenant. Jesus says the blood, this cup is the blood of a new covenant. But the righteousness based on faith, those who believe, says this. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. And don't say, who will descend to the abyss? That's to bring Christ, raise Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. This is what the word of faith says. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, what will happen? You'll be saved. So it's easy to say Jesus is Lord. It's another thing to live that way, isn't it? So that's where integrity comes into play. Whatever you say, you mean. Jesus is Lord. I am going to live my life with that in mind. I am going to do the things that are pleasing to Him. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Now this is interesting because Paul says that when we do this, every time we do this, what do we do? We proclaim what? The death of Christ. Why is that? Why do we proclaim the death of Christ? What's the, pay, what's the, what's the ultimate payment for sin? Death. So if he just kind of went to sleep for three days... And then they rescued him out of the tomb. It's not, it's not payment, is it? He died. And no matter what rumor was spread around at the time of, of his resurrection and the time of Paul, they proclaimed, no, he wasn't stolen. He died. He had to die. That is the, that is the payment for sin, our sin. So we proclaim His resurrection because He's the only one other than those that He raised from the dead and God took that's ever been raised from the dead. Which means God affirmed everything that He said about Himself. <clears throat> so, so with the heart man believes because where, where is it that God is looking at in our life? It's here, right? It's the heart. The belief of the heart is what calls us to be righteous. Abraham believed God and it was con considered to him as righteousness. 
And with the mouth we confess, resulting in what? Salvation. We have to share your testimony. We have to proclaim what we believe. You know, that's a great place to stop here, but Paul doesn't stop there, which I like this. It says, whoever puts their trust in God, will they have to wait a long time? Will, what, what, what will happen? They won't be disappointed. Since they won't be disappointed, they won't be put to shame. You might experience shame and ridicule and mocking now, but in the end, we won't be put to shame. And then it goes on. We have to flip the page in my Bible, but it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, here we come to this simple thing to do. We have bread. We have juice. They represent way, way much more than that. Um, and so, as we come to partake, I'm just ask each of you to come up get the bread and get the juice and then we'll all partake of it together but I think I'll have um, Roger if you would come up and pray over the bread and Bill why don't you come up and pray over the juice and then you all as you feel led come up and then we'll partake together thank you Roger Bill <clears throat> Father, as we examine the Old Testament, the Passover lamb, as a part of the Passover itself, was eaten. And Christ referred back to that when he said, This is my body. It wasn't broken, it was given to us. And we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that we can have communion with Christ in a way that those in the Old Testament could not. We acknowledge your presence here. Yes, we do. That you bless the bread, which represents your body given to us. We do praise you. Amen. We ask you to remind us again of the blood and what the shedding of the blood meant, and how the shed blood was even used. Cover so many of the implements in the, in the temple to show a covering over sin, showing a, a washing away of sin. Or there's there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Or if we take this today, I look for a mighty move of your spirit within us to, to realize and, and give you thanks, or to say hallelujah. Or that you've taken our sin away from us. 
and that when Satan accuses us, all we have to do is agree with him. Yeah, that's the way it was, but it's no, no longer that way. Mm-hmm. This is what Jesus has done. And we will take his first line, his last line, Lord, and, and just go on the ashes. Thank you, Lord. Well, I was thinking about he lifts the needy from the ashes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why you would shed your blood for people mm-hmm. living on the ashes. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, that's your great love. It cannot be constrained. It just pours out, Father, and it pours out through Christ, who was the chosen lamb who gave himself for us and shed his blood for us. Lord, you've given us these signs to help us remember the goodness of God in our lives. We ask your blessing. Amen. Amen. Come as you will.